Today's scripture reading is from Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 to 24. Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 to 24. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once did to try to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray one more time. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. We're continuing on with the sermon series in Galatians, and after Paul makes the heavy statement that if anyone, even if it were himself, were to change even an iota in the gospel, let him be damned. And you might be wondering, for those that probably listened to Paul or read his writings, they might think of it and say, that's a little much, isn't it? Maybe too much. Paul, can you take it down a notch? It's a little too harsh of a word. Accursed, damned, anathema. Those are very harsh words. What if they kind of made a mistake? Let's just take it down a notch. But in today's passage, Paul starts out by stating that he does not seek the approval of man. We do not preach the gospel, live out the gospel, so that we could ultimately get human approval. One of the key signs that you are a life changed by Christ is that you no longer need the approval of other human beings to live. And it's especially important in this modern day era where we are constantly bombarded with images on our social networks of how incomplete we are that we need to hear and understand this. Do we understand it? Do we realize it? Do you realize that no amount of creatine monohydrate can make you look good enough if 
you don't know what that is, that's fine. Uh, imagine I just said protein. Um, do we understand that no matter how much we try, if we put ourselves as the standard, it will not ever get there? One of the stories I do like to tell the brothers when we are at uh, the gym just exercising um, is that one of the stories that really impacted me was when Arnold Schwarzenegger, whom everybody knows, is accomplished, is um, by all means a superstar, is when he said when he goes and he wakes up and he looks in the mirror, he sees a million faults and he starts to get depressed. And what helps is that he goes to the gym and he lifts. And that cycle repeats itself over and over again. But then there's that turn after you hit a certain age, after you hit a certain injury, after something happens to you physically, it turns. And yet, that cycle and that loop is something that we're constantly in ourselves as people in their 20s and 30s and maybe even 40s. In this modern day era, we are constantly bombarded with images on our social networks of how incomplete we are. And we need to understand and hear this. I saw a picture of a missionary friend of mine with his beautiful wife and two beautiful children. And they were all hand in hand, all four of them, smiling, walking down a path to a perfectly, seemingly perfect, sun-shining, nature-filled backdrop. And in his captions, he wrote, yes, our kids acted up. Yes, our kids barfed on the way here. Yes, we got lost. And yet, yes, my wife and I had some arguments. And then he says some mushy stuff about his family being his squad, so blah. But <laughs> the point is that every time we are conveying something in a post, we are conveying something about our lives. Just the same. Every time we say something, every time we open our mouths, we're conveying something. The question is, what are we saying and why? What are we listening to and why? What are we watching and why? You know, social media has become an incredible tool, an outlet for us to convey things that we could have never done otherwise, but convey things that are important to us. I want to make a quick note that I am excluding trolls from this dialogue. Trolls are sad, sad people who have realized that they have nothing good to say that anyone would care or notice. So they opted for the easier route and appeal to the more base emotions. Trolls have taken the easier of the two routes. It is harder to really think of the other and come up with something encouraging for the other person to personally feel. So they take the easier route. Don't get me wrong, I'm all for the occasional joke and the ribbing here and there with close friends. But that's not the kind of trolling I'm speaking of. You'll see internet trolls out there, and they just can't say anything good. Because what they have realized is that it's so hard to say something good. It's easier to say something stupid. It's easier to be a fool than it is to be wise. So what are we conveying when we post the technology that we have now is more incredible than anything we've ever had. And yet, I don't think that anyone can say that our human experience has been elevated. 
And I don't think that's what we truly feel at least. And isn't that interesting? Even at our current technological advancement and achievements, we still long for the next best thing. We dream of virtual reality, artificial intelligence, the iPhone 8, as if they would make or break our human experience. We have stuff now way beyond what people even dreamt or imagined in the past, and yet we never fail to stop and think, wait, people generations before me longed for this kind of stuff. They waited for this kind of stuff as if it would improve their lives and enhance their human experience. Why am I not there yet then? Why am I still waiting for the next best thing? And that's what brings me to my next point. What if our questions are off? What if the questions I'm asking are off? It's like the question, can God make a circle square? Or can God make something so heavy that he can't lift it? The question is off. It's like saying, Pastor Sam, it was his birthday yesterday. Well, Pastor Sam, can you be a dog? Well, I guess you're not really a good Pastor Sam then. It's like, what, what? Can you be something that you are not? Are we asking God that he cannot be God? What's the question that we're asking? And when we ask certain questions or when we post certain things, when I speak, when I do anything, the question is, who am I doing it for? Who am I trying to please? In Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, and this would include posting, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, if I could earn my salvation, with whatever, by however I did it, with whatever I did, then whatever I do, I could do it, I could do it for me. If I could earn my salvation, yes, then whatever I do, I could do it for me, and no one could be the wiser. But what if every good deed that was done, that I did, was to try and cover the evil that I had committed? that no matter how many good deed bricks that I would put and stack up in my life, no matter how high I was able to build a wall with it, it wouldn't be able to change the depravity of my soul behind the wall. My friends, are we in delusion? Whenever someone seemingly tends to do a good thing or a good deed, and it could be like outside after we finish service and you walk outside and you see someone and they see a piece of paper on the floor and they pick it up and then you see that and you respond by saying, wow, he's a good guy. That guy, he's a good guy. Or you respond by saying, wow, she's really nice. She's really good. And then the other person will go, yeah. But let's say he didn't pick it up. Do we ever go, wow, 
he or she's really evil? The answer is yes, if we don't like them. <laughs> if we don't like them, we go, she's here, she's evil. We convince ourselves our moral judgments are based on merit, but in actuality, they're, they're really based and mainly based on our affections and affinities. The truth is, if we had honest, honestly based our judgments on merit, then we'd all fail. That's why the question, why does God let the innocent suffer, has so many problems. Why does God let the innocent suffer? First of all, why is goodness uh, contrasted with suffering? Anybody that works out loves suffering because they know that through suffering they get gain. Anybody that exercises any kind of habit knows that they must suffer and they must endure to build their character or their skill or any talent that they have. Secondly, who's to judge the innocent? You? Are you saying and judging that that person is innocent and that person, because they're innocent, they don't deserve to suffer? The question is important, maybe sometimes more than the answer. The truth is, if we had honestly based our judgments on true merit, unbiased, objective merit, then we'd fail. And Paul goes on to say that he didn't actually get the gospel, number one, through men. It wasn't through human thinking, merit, or understanding that he was able to receive what he did. He got it directly from Jesus. He's not a lesser apostle, and he is not one removed from the other apostles, but he is a capital A apostle. Number two, he didn't merit it. In verse three, in fact, he was so removed from meriting it, he shares his testimony of when he would be violent in persecuting the church. You all, and we all could be bad, but did we ever go out of our way to violently kill peaceful people? Paul is saying he did. And if anybody didn't merit it, he did not. In number four, verse 14, he says, he did try to merit it. He was advancing as a deacon and then elder beyond anyone his age. He was the youngest deacon to have ever become instated. Doctrine, he knew it. Scripture, memorized. And yet, he fell short. Verse 15, he says this, that he was set apart by sheer grace, by sheer grace. As a Christian, the question is, how do we primarily identify ourselves? Is it through our service? If someone were to ask you right now, are you a good Christian? Would the guttural immediate response be to, are you a good Christian? Look at the things I do. Look at how much time I spend in the church. Look how much I've sacrificed. Or is our response, I am a Christian by sheer grace, not by anything I have done, 
but by the grace of God. And if I am good, it isn't because of the goodness in me. It is because of the goodness in the one who called me. How do we identify ourselves? Paul knew he was called by God. And in his calling, he was able to serve and proclaim. This is something that we also must realize. We are people desperate and in need of this sheer grace because our merits just don't add up. And even if we stay delusional, it won't be forever. There will come a point where we'll see that our deeds and our merits and our actions and our speech just won't cut it. Italian novelist Ignazio Salone, in his classic novel, Bread and Wine, he wrote about a revolutionist in autocratic Italy. At that time, in the 1930s, it was controlled by Mussolini. And this revolutionist was hunted by the police. And to hide, he dressed as a priest, and he was sent to a remote village. And word got out. And soon, a long line of peasants appeared at his door, full of stories of their sins and brokenness. And even though he tried to turn them away and say, no, no, go away, I don't want to hear you, I don't listen to you, they would not leave, and he would have no choice but to, to listen. Listen to a people starving. What were they starving for? They were starving for grace. This grace that Paul is talking about and that he refers to isn't just some benign or flaccid or powerless thing. Grace isn't warm maple syrup that you just pour onto your pancakes so that you can exclaim, oh, how sweet the sound. This amazing grace is something powerful. It is something that changes. It's once that you have this grace that you can be free. And oddly enough, that's not what some people may think when they hear grace. When we receive grace, when we receive grace, our souls start to sing, oh, I am free. At the mention of his name, at the reading of scripture, tears would pour out, oh, that is grace. At the thought that Jesus covered my every single iniquity, sin, and shame, no matter what I did, that I would be set free, not just cleansed, but set free. Oh, that is grace. And we no longer respond Oh, I am free, free to wallow in the sin and shame I was in before. No, it's freedom from bondage and sin. It's freedom for a new life and a new life to serve. You know, you don't become a deacon when you finally reach the levels of service and badges that you require. You don't become one because of anything that you have done. You become one because God set you apart, called you into a service out of sheer grace, revealed himself to you so that you could work. You don't become an elder 
when you finally mastered the levels of deaconship. You become one because God has set you apart, called you into his service out of sheer grace, revealed himself to you so that you could do the work. You don't become a well, you get my point, right? In God's kingdom, you don't become anything because of what you've accomplished. You became, and then you accomplished. God has reversed it through Jesus Christ. God sets us apart, calls us by grace, reveals himself to us, and then we can work and we find joy in the work that we do. I want to end with this. If it is grace that we have received, and it is sheer grace, not by any merit that we could have done or accomplished, what is it then? What is it then? That's our work. What is our work? And our work is to be dispensers of grace. Dispensers of grace. The grace we receive, we give. Whether you're a new member, you receive grace to become a new member. If you're a leader in our church, you've received grace to become a leader. Even if you're just visiting us today, God has given you grace to worship him, to listen to his word, to recognize and see Jesus as true king, to fall in love with him deeper and deeper and deeper. And it is grace, by grace, that you are able to do this. His sheer and awesome and amazing grace and when we sing oh how sweet the sound that takes on a new level what is our work then our work is that we are now dispensers of grace you know every other institution in the world can do things just as good as the church and sometimes a lot of times even better there's something that the world cannot do that the church must do and it must dispense grace powerful life-changing grace there is a preacher that i mentioned many many months ago that i respect uh, that i that i look up to his name is charles spurgeon but in no way was he perfect but charles spurgeon and joseph parker were both pastors in London in the 19th century, and they both had churches. On one occasion, Joseph Parker visited uh, Charles Spurgeon's orphanage that he ran, and he commented on the poor condition of the children admitted to the orphanage. It was reported to Spurgeon, however, that Parker had criticized the orphanage itself. Spurgeon blasted Parker the next week from the pulpit. The attack was printed in the local newspapers and became the talk of the town. People flocked to Parker's church the next Sunday to hear his rebuttal. And Parker said, I understand Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today. And this is the Sunday they used to take an offering for the orphanage. I suggest we take a love offering here instead. And the crowd was delighted. The ushers had to empty the collection plates three times. Later that week, there was a knock at Parker's study, and it was Spurgeon. 
And he said, you know, Parker, you have practiced grace on me. You have given me not what I deserved. You have given me what I needed. We, as people who have received this incredible, this sheer and amazing grace, are now called to give that grace to a world that desperately needs it and is starving for it. And let us do that by the power of his Holy Spirit. Let us pray.